Talk 1130 WISN. Okay, here's the question. Should courts be interpreting the law, which is their job, by the way, or simply defer to government agencies in areas of bureaucratic rulemaking? That's at the core of an important case, and I think a case that hasn't gotten much attention. Should. And that's now before the state Supreme Court. Scott Manley, Senior Vice President of Government Relations at Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, has the details. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Matt. How are you? I am fine. I'll tell you, for a Monday, we're looking pretty good. Before we begin this conversation, and like I said, this is a court case. I don't think it's gotten the sort of attention that it deserves. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to get your initial thought. I cannot have a guest on the show without talking about the thing that has sucked up all the oxygen in the room, and rightfully so, Foxconn. Manufacturers and Commerce testified, I believe uh, Lucas did uh, on Thursday, brought up some very interesting points about why this project is so important for the state of Wisconsin. I, I guess I wanted to get your perspective and what you're hearing out there about what this means for the economy in Wisconsin. Well, I think it would be absolutely transformational for our economy, and I think it would be difficult to overstate how important it would be in terms of the job creation, in terms of the in, you know the economic investment in our state, and perhaps most importantly, um, really shining a light on a national and international basis to what a great state Wisconsin is to invest, to live, to work, and that's really important because we have a situation where. Um, you know, like many other states, we're, we're struggling um, with a shortage of, of skilled workers. Mm-hmm. And if we can have a transformational project like this come to our state and, you know, shine a light on the fact that uh, Wisconsin's uh, a great place to live and raise a family, um, we've got good wage growth going on right now, we've got low cost of living, um, if we can attract skilled people to our state, um, that'll make us even stronger economically. Just one final point on that. You said, I think this is a very interesting opportunity to shine a light on a number of things. One of those things is the regulatory process in Wisconsin. I have heard this uh, from conservatives in particular, small business uh, in, in particular, and I get it. I understand it. They're happy that this is happening, but at the same time they're saying Foxconn will receive the kind of regulatory streamlining that they will never get. And I think this is an opportunity for us in the state to talk about the free market, the burdens placed on the free market arbitrarily by government, and a good time to talk about if it's good for Foxconn, then perhaps it's good for small businesses across the state. What do you think about that? Well, I I agree with that. And if you look at the... um... The, the legislation that's pending before the legislature right now, there are, there are some regulatory streamlining measures in there. I would call them very modest. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking about more process changes than anything. Um, what the legislation does not do, uh, it does not exempt Foxconn or any of the employers right. um, in, in that region because this isn't uh, uh, an incentive that or, or the, the, the permit streamlining things that are in that legislation apply to uh, businesses as a whole um, associated with that project, not just one employer. Um, but but what it doesn't do is it doesn't accept any business from having to meet uh, Wisconsin's stringent air and water quality standards or the federal air and water quality standards. 
Um, I think one of the things that we have an opportunity to do here with this project is to demonstrate to the people of Wisconsin that the streamlining reforms in this bill when applied to a project of the magnitude and scope as the Foxconn project is, that we will essentially do a, a proof of concept that, yes, we can streamline things and still have great environmental outcomes. And, and I, th I think it's a tremendous opportunity to demonstrate that we, we can make changes to the old way of doing things, the old command and control government-centric way of regulating businesses. And, and, and once we've got that proof of concept established, um, I think policymakers would be much more likely you know, to want to migrate that to all businesses as a whole. That's an excellent point. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, I, I had heard at the hearing on Thursday, Assistant Secretary for uh, the Department of Natural Resources saying, we're not, we're not exempting them from the, the standards that we've set. And certainly the federal government will have its own uh, position to play in this. And we know about what uh, those standards are like. Uh, but what this will do is it will end the sort of duplication of service that is so tied into this long regulatory process. And that's what I'm really talking about. I think that there are small businesses across the state who have to deal with that kind of duplication and the massive red tape that's involved unnecessarily. And I think that it would be great to show that this project, we can do a large-scale project like this, and reduce that red tape, reduce the duplication of service, and then apply that to business across the state. We're talking with uh, Scott Manley, Senior Vice President of Government Relations at Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. Scott, I didn't invite you on the show to do to talk about that, but I did want to get your perspective. You have uh, It's safe to say that uh, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce uh, is on board, endorses the uh, Foxconn project. Is that is that safe to say? That's accurate, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Now, uh, what I did invite you on the program to talk about is this case that, again, I don't think has gotten enough attention, but we have in the state, in the United States, everywhere, uh, something that's occurred for a long time. Uh, courts, when they get cases that involve government agencies, executive-level agencies that have said, these are the rules, this, these are the facts, and they need to follow those rules and that sort of thing. And in that, we have a lot of cases or we have a lot of courts that say, yeah, we'll just defer to the experts at the government agency. Well, your argument and the argument of a plaintiff in a case surrounding this is that, no, you can't simply defer. You have to do your job as a court to interpret the law. Uh, what is the case and what's at stake? Well, the name of the case, and it's you know it's kind of an obscure case here, but mm -hmm. it's Tetra Tech versus the Department of Revenue, and it, it involves a, a dispute between a business and our state Department of Revenue on whether or not the uh, state sales tax applies to an activity that they engaged in, um, and you know that's it's an important legal question and one that the courts will have to sort out, but. Um, from our perspective, um, the case represents a unique opportunity to really restore judicial fairness um, to our legal system in disputes where you have a private individual or a private business um, who is uh, in essentially suing uh, an executive branch agency like the Department of Revenue or like the Department of Transportation or the DNR or Department of Workforce Development. 
And as you said, Matt, we have a situation that, of case law that has evolved over time where courts defer to the executive branch agencies. And we think that's unconstitutional for two reasons. Number one, um, the, the Constitution very clearly vests the authority to interpret the law uh, and say what the law is in the judicial branch and only the judicial branch. So when, when you go to, and have a lawsuit like this and the judicial branch says, no, we're, we're not going to say what the law is, we're going to de- defer to the judgment of the executive branch on what the law is, mm-hmm. that's an example of the judicial branch not fulfilling its constitutional duty. That's unconstitutional. The second way that it's unconstitutional is that it, it, um, the practice of judicial uh, or judges of the judicial branch deferring to the executive branch um, is a violation of due process. Um, it is a, a fundamental tenet and, and right of our judicial system that if somebody is uh, involved in litigation, that they have a right to a fair and impartial tribunal to hear the dispute. Right. Um, we don't have kangaroo courts in this country. Uh, we pride ourselves in, in, in having due process and, and fairness and transparency. But when you have a situation where one branch of government is sitting in judgment of the other branch of government, the judicial branch sitting in judgment of the executive branch, and the judicial branch says, I'm going to defer to the executive branch um, in your dispute with them, they're basically picking sides. They're basically saying, um, in this legal controversy between you and your government, we are going to defer to the government. And that's not due process. That's not fairness. That's not an impartial judiciary. So we think it's it's unconstitutional from that standpoint as well. Uh, I would uh, take a little exception to the comment that you made. We don't have kangaroo courts in this country. You you have seen the Dane County uh, Court, haven't you? Well, we're not supposed to have kangaroo courts <laughs> in this country. Fair enough. Fair maybe, that's I, a better, maybe that's a more accurate way of phrasing it. Act 10, right to work, instantly come to mind in Dane County courts. No, I I, I hear you. We're not supposed to have and, kangaroo and courts. And, and John Doe, which brings up another point. I mean, you don't if you think that this is just a small issue and that, yeah, and quite frankly, the argument I think from, from some Republicans and some from conservatives is, yeah, the Walker administration. Well, why wouldn't you trust uh, the agents in the Walker administration? I know not everybody says that, but there are certainly some people out there. Well, uh, even if you come from it from that point of view, remember, Republicans or conservatives aren't going to be in power always. You're going to have a Democrat there. They're going to be very active, as Doyle was back uh, over his eight years, very active, very aggressive uh, agencies, very aggressive bureaucrats, and what did we see in the John Doe, where we had courts deferring to people who were breaking the law? Now, we know that they were breaking the law because multiple courts eventually said as much. But we had Dane County, an appeals court, deferring to the Government Accountability Board and others. This can get very dangerous, can it not, Scott? Well, absolutely. And if, if you believe in the rule of law and you believe in uh, a fair and impartial judicial system, you should you do not believe in the concept of judicial deference where judges defer to executive branch agencies because uh, that 
theory just it fundamentally offends the concept that that you get a fair trial because you you just don't i mean when you we we use the um the, the often use the analogy of judges being an umpire that calls balls and strikes and you know in that using that same analogy when somebody sues their government uh you know think of think of the uh you know the government agency as being the pitcher in a baseball game um you know you the little guy or the batter and the the courts are the umpire and under judicial deference when the when the government you know throws the pitch um and it's time for the for the you know for the judge the umpire to say was that a ball or a strike they just defer to the pitcher and then they they ask the, the you know the pitcher was that a do you think that was a strike, and of course they say yes it was, <laughs> and you know you the plaintiff the little guy the batter, are just left you know, as as basically a, a bystander as two different branches of government, um, uh, you know, decide this amongst themselves, and that's not the system that our founders envisioned. I mean we our founders envisioned a system where. Um, the, the rule of law would be upheld, and it was up to the judicial branch of government to say what the law is, mm-hmm. not the executive branch. What do you say to those that argue, what about activist judges? And we've certainly seen enough of those. Dane County is a perfect example of that. But activist judges who just decide, well, I'm definitely not going to defer to what is reasonable and sound law. It's reasonable and sound rulemaking, and, um, you know, the hell with you. What do you say to, to those who are concerned about activist judges? Well, activist judges are a concern regardless of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that if you have an activist judge, um, you know, who, you know, behaves in that manner, there's, there's a few different ways you can deal with that. First of all, if it's a real problem... You know, we have elections, and you can, you know, the voters can can remove that judge from office that way. The other, you know, venue, of course, is that we have a court of appeals. So if you don't like what the judge says, you can appeal it to the court of appeals, and if you don't like what the court of appeals says, you can go to the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, there's really no way around activist judges. If, if judges want to be activists and, and uh, you know, misbehave on the bench, um, I guess that's their prerogative to do that, and you can't really stop them. But you can hold them accountable through the ballot box and through our uh, appellate court system. Very good. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. I guess the question is, uh, what's next? What happens now? This is before the state Supreme Court. What's the schedule? What's the timeline on this? Yeah, well, the, the oral argument uh, is, is going to happen this fall. And, and I, I think it's important to give credit where credit's due because uh, Justice Rebecca Bradley actually raised this issue as a matter of law in another case um, involving um, uh, an unemployment case, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and she asked the question out loud, is judicial deference constitutional? And, um, and, they, and the court in this case involving the Department of Revenue and Tetratech said, we actually want briefs on this question. And so WMC submitted a brief along with some other business groups saying, we think this is unconstitutional. Um, they're going to hear that case this fall. Um, hopefully we'll get an answer before the end of the year. And from our perspective, we hope, we hope the court concludes uh, as well that, 
that judicial uh, deference is unconstitutional and that they should not defer to agencies. They should take an independent review of what the law is. On that topic, let me say this. For those who are not watching uh, the court, the Supreme Court, Rebecca Bradley, Justice Rebecca Bradley, is an awesome defender of the Constitution. Most recently, she wrote a definitive decision on what is known as, uh, I guess, loosely as the the Robert Steets case. This was a guy who had the Department of Natural Resources wardens trespass, although they don't they don't call it trespass. Of course, they call it the law. The DNR came on this guy's land. He was just fixing his fences and looking out for trespassers. It escalated into this whole thing. And then uh, a lower court found that this guy was uh, was guilty, you know, of uh, getting in the face of the DNR and what have you. He spent a year in jail. The Supreme Court said, uh-uh. They reversed it. They said they, they took it down to the lower court and said, you, you're going to have to retry this case. And Rebecca Bradley wrote a very important decision in that case that stands up for property owners and takes a real hard look at open fields doctrines and some other things. I, I, I know that's a bit of an aside, but she has had some excellent uh, decisions and has been involved in some very important cases. I think this is an important one, too. Scott, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.